Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 134. Bui TB Nafi, bienvenidos, bitches, and thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, able bodied, white dudes. <laughs> there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth. And I just happen to be white. It is not her fault. <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, this is part two of our story on Chao Chiang Yuo, a.k.a. Gansu's intestinal digging demon murder case. Whoo, that's a handful. Wow. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And again, we warn you, this case is extremely gruesome, so be forewarned. And this Mm -hmm. story was researched by Bert Sun, a Chinese-American expat living in Brazil. Thank you, Bert. Oh, yes, Bert. We love you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so before we get into it, how you doing? I'm all right. 
right. Okay, good. One good. of my good friends is moving back to her home state of Ohio. What for? While her mom's getting up there in age and is having health issues, and her sister had COVID last year, that was a scare. And oh. she's just feeling like it's time to to get back with her family. Mm. So anyway, some mutual friends of ours uh, invited us over for dinner in her honor, and uh, we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, that is so... Was that tonight? No, that was Saturday, and then Sunday it was worthless. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds really lovely, though. Yeah, Time with friends, and then I think this past however long i don't tell what is time anymore uh has taught us like really what's important yeah right? a lot of so, changes yeah yeah changes because life is really short it's really fragile and precious and you know you got to do what you can make the best of it make yeah. the most of it what we yeah. want to do with the rest of our lives yeah yeah uh I quit this bitch. Just kidding. Yeah. I can't do that. I'm still poor, <laughs> but I am happy about your friend um, spending time to be more, you know, do, do the right, do the right thing for her. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well, Monday, Monday, you cannot trust this damn day. <laughs> I hate you Monday. And uh, I've been in a deep depression lately. Oh, I um, was, you know, it's, a, it's, I'm it no stranger it is, yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. It, it is what it is, but I, um, and I don't want to trigger anybody listening. So please stay take care of yourself and fast forward the next 30 seconds. <laughs> but <I've>, uh, <laughs> I have just been distracting myself a lot um, and just trying to keep um, from falling too deep into despair mental health wise. Yeah. Um, so I've been distracting myself with, you know, as much positivity as I can. And I go to my IG timeline and what do I see? Did you know the Emmys were on this week? I didn't. I don't really pay attention to the Emmys or the Oscars or any of those things. Ooh. Well, I usually watch award shows and I take notes so I know what I missed, what I really do need to watch. But I watched uh, a lot of TV in 2021 (laughs) and 2020. And um, Michaela Cole, she won the award for like best writing of um, I May Destroy You. Remember we we shouted it out. But did you ever watch it, Beth? What was it? I may destroy you, and I think oh, it was on no, Hulu. I haven't. I haven't watched oh, that yet. You have to. You have to. It's about um, spoiler alert, and also trigger warning. A, a black British woman who undergo experiences uh, or is a victim of um, sexual violence, and ends up finding and essentially destroying. <laughs> her um attacker and her abuser and a really and it's just really really a beautiful fun very well written show anyway she won she wins this award and this is what i saw on my timeline this 20 second clip and i watched it a thousand times today (laughs) michaela cole they announce her name a beautiful song plays and who comes up behind her Cynthia Revo, another black, amazing woman from England who is, has the voice of an angel, played Aretha Franklin in something. Anyway, she, you don't know what she's saying, but Cynthia Revo's like, in her ear, right? And I don't know what they're saying. There's music playing. Um, but in my head, she's saying, you got this. You deserve this. You do this. You do that shit. I love you, sis. You're amazing. You're powerful. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Rewind. Watch again. Watch again. And like it was just so beautiful to see two 
black women like embracing each each other, other. supporting each other in that way and um, winning all the things and all the excellence and beauty. And just it just just thinking about it is making me smile and my heart smile. So that's um, awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Um, and the Emmys, uh, did you know Michael K. Williams, who died, was nominated for Lovecraft Country and he did not win the award oh my for God. Best Actor? Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I'm Stop sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> nope. 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 Um, but uh, that's it. Well, I'm glad we're both here. Yeah. And we're doing the damn thing. Now let's get into some listener letters. Hello, angels. Thank you. Hello there. Hello, little <laughs> prince. What's in that bag, Beth? <laughs> What's in the bag, Beth? Well, we got a voicemail from Bree. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I'm, la- I'm laughing in advance. <laughs> yeah. So here it is. Here you go. Hi, Wendy and Beth. This is Bree and Meatloaf. Hey, we just wanted to leave some parting words about Ms. Anna Young. Anna Young was a I mean, uh, Anna Young was a C-word, and she got taken out by the big C-word. Justice is served. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> we loved it. Oh, we just loved love it. it. Yeah. That evil laugh. <laughs> Chef's yeah. kiss. Chef's kiss. <laughs> and yes, Anna Young is a Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks boo yeah what else and i also wanted to say thank you to yammy small for your five-star review i saw that this morning too and that was another positivity for uh for my eyeballs and just so grateful thank you yes, so much thank you uh what else oh we got some new patreons Woo-hoo. uh chantal d and Rondica. actually Rondica is back mm-hmm. and we are just so glad about it that as a token of our gratitude she's getting a new tune hello okay <laughs> so here we go ha 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 body thank you Rondica. body in september body Thank you, Rondica, today. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, thank you, Rondica. Um, Okay, Chantal, this is for you. And um, I I am sorry in advance, but thank you for supporting our show. (laughs) Someone please call 911. The alleged assailant is five foot one and Chantel shot me through my soul <laughs> feel my body getting cold <laughs> uh and Chantel thank you so much for supporting yeah, our you. show <laughs> I took an I took a stab at a white clef John tune to commemorate what's going on with the bullshit with the Haitians at the border and I hope you can appreciate my attempt. <laughs> well, I so, liked it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so now we're going to take a little break and then we're going to get to the story when we come back. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. 
1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Okay, we are back. Beth, remind us, who is our subject today? Today's episode is part two about Xiao Tiangyuo, a.k.a. Gansu's intestinal digging demon murder case. Mm, mm, mm. Sounds delicious. <laughs> Where can I get some? Uh, so here's here's the recap, y'all. So Xiao uh, Tiangyuo who we are calling John and um, Bert called him John. So we are calling him that too. And as we said before, murderers don't get respect, but rest in power to the victims and their names get respect. And we do our best with those names. But anyway, um, John was born in 1970 in Xiangye City, China. And he was the baby of the family, which had five children, and he was a little spoiled. A little? Just <laughs> he had a brother, Jianmin or Jimmy. Both John and Jimmy got into some trouble as they matured, mostly with drugs and alcohol, but also theft and other petty crimes. I was going to say, in the next life, I want to come back as the youngest kid. Just, just, just to see it what seems that's like. So yeah. relaxing. It seems pretty awesome. It yeah. seems so fun. Um, <laughs> besides the murder part. But anyway, in March of 2004, John was released from labor camp and he almost immediately met a woman and fell in love. We never learned the name of this woman, so we will just refer to her as John's girlfriend. In April 2004, John was reported to the authorities for assault when he got into a fight with a woman named Mumu in a massage parlor slash salon. He'd gone there to get his hair washed, and when Mumu asked if he wanted anything else, he assumed she was a sex worker and started making rude comments. The two then got into a physical scuffle. John didn't get into too much trouble over this, but he was asked to give Mumu some money in compensation. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah, but that then- was weird. <laughs> on March, on August 17, 2004, at 11 o'clock in the evening, a man found the body of a young woman named Liang Arlene. She had been left on the side of the road. Her intestines pulled out from her vagina, piled up between her legs, 
and wrapped around her neck. A forensic expert was convinced that the killer had to have a great deal of knowledge in human anatomy or was possibly a very experienced butcher. Just a month later, the killer struck again. His next victim was 17-year-old Li Chiawa. Again, the girl's intestines were pulled out from her vagina. But Chiawa survived the attack, although only one-third of her intestines could be saved. Absolutely remarkable. So Chiawa had been attacked from behind in the dark, and she never really saw her perpetrator. But she believed that it had been an adult man. The citizens of Siyongye were terrified. Women would not go out alone. Even in broad daylight, the public demanded a swift investigation and a task force was established. And that'll bring us to the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth. The task force had very little to go on, so they looked into the known criminals in the area, analyzing existing suspicious cases and people who had committed sex crimes. After reviewing past cases, the police noticed that there'd been two odd harassment cases filed by two local women in preceding months. Hmm, interesting. Approximately a month prior to Arlene's murder on July 24, 2004, the Si Yong Ye police received a complaint from a young woman named Shou, who had been attacked near a barbecue restaurant in the night market area. According to the police record, Xiao said she was waiting for her husband at a barbecue restaurant when she went outside to call him on her cell phone to see where he was. While on the phone, she absentmindedly walked into a quiet alleyway next to the restaurant. Suddenly, a man, quote, jammed my neck, pushed me to the ground and asked if my name was Mumu, unquote. She screamed and it happened that her husband arrived just at that time, ran to her aid and the attacker ran away. Xiao didn't get a good look at the guy, but she said he was tall, that he smelled strongly of alcohol, and she thought he had a local accent. Because no one was injured and there was no property loss, police just filed an incident report and shelved the case. The second attack was listed as an assault with physical altercations that included, quote, neck choking and grabbing the genital area, unquote. It occurred only three days after Arlene was murdered on the evening of August 15th, 2004. Ramp up much? Yeah. Uh, so a young woman named Ping was watching TV at home when someone knocked on her door. When she opened the door, a big man stood outside and said, I'm looking for Wenbing. Ping told him, He had the wrong house, bruh. Get the fuck out of here. And nobody by that name lived there. (laughs) The man then accused her of lying and said that he was there to collect debts and to get out of his way as he pushed Peng and forced his way in. Peng was taken aback and said, quote, what the fuck are you doing? I told you there's no such person. You must leave, unquote. Mm, mm. The man looked around the house and saw there was no one else there, but still refused to leave. Peng was scared and Obviously. told the man. Yeah, but I really, I really dig her energy. That's how, that's that's yeah. Get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. get the What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Peng was scared and told the man that and you wouldn't know it, but she was scared and told the man to leave or she would call someone. The man accused her of being a sex worker and asked how much. Peng became angry and again told him to leave. She also noticed that he smelled strongly of alcohol, but again, he would not leave. So she shouted for her landlord who lived next door. The intruder was furious and he grabbed Peng's neck, pulled her close to him, then pushed her to the floor and started beating her. Peng cried out for help even louder and fought with all her might. Apparently realizing that Peng could not easily be subdued and that help would soon be on its way, the man suddenly reached out and groped Peng's genitals then ran out the door. Real nice guy. 
Wow. Yeah. But shout out to Peng, because if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Amen. And she <laughs> stayed ready. Now, the landlord's family arrived shortly afterward and called the police immediately. Peng was taken to the hospital for treatment. Her body showed some bruising, but nothing serious except for the pain the man caused when he had grabbed at her genitals. But once again, the police did not take this incident seriously. And again, the case went nowhere. By the way, this is kind of a useless fact. But a pathologist who is evaluating the vaginal tissue uh-huh. and penile tissue cannot decipher which is which they're the same in terms of what they look like under a microscope and under gross examining gross like looking with your eyes did not Um, know that anyway um also there's a lot of nerve endings down there y'all you gotta you gotta treat uh treat with respect yeah kindness (laughs) and love yeah that's just be grabbing it and shit get out of here Now, with the outcry from the public, the Ministry of Public Safety decided to put pressure on the task force and gave them a deadline to solve the case. This was a political move and unreasonable, but the task force felt the pressure and set their eyes on finding this particular man that was connected to these two harassment cases. Now, in the second case, because the man did not surprise the victim from behind and in the dark, Peng remembered his face and stated that she had also heard the man speak with a local accent. The police produced a composite sketch of the suspect based on Peng's description. After seeing the sketch, one of the local detectives from the task force said, quote, Oh my God, he looks just like Chao Tiang Yuo. This detective just happened to be one of the officers who'd been sent to Mumu's salon where she'd reported John for assault, and he thought he recognized him in the sketch. I was going to hit the hip-hop air horn, but remember when Momu was like, this fucking guy attacked me, and uh, they told uh, John to essentially apologize just, and just pay her? Just apologize and yeah, give her the money, so- yeah. Hip hop airhorn retracted. <laughs> now the t- the task because that is some messy hoedness yeah. fuck shit. I don't know if now, that's maybe something that that happens in China. If that's like usual or if that's a weird thing, I don't know. Compensation. I don't know that much about yeah. Yeah, or restitution. I would love for um, our listeners to let us know um, about whether that is common for. Um, Instead of like justice, probably might look different in other places, and justice right. may look like compensation monetarily. I don't know. So yeah, let us a know. Good if question. You know. Yeah. So the task force immediately started to investigate John, and at the age of thirty-four, he became the focus of the police investigation into the gut murder case and the key person of interest. The task force re-interviewed Peng, the lady at home watching TV, minding her business, and she identified him as the man who broke into her house and attacked her. Next, they asked Xiao and her husband to identify the same photo. These two were not sure, only stating that the outlines were similar. At this point, the task force was convinced that John was the killer, and they began an intensive investigation. They found two people who claimed that on September 20th, 2004, the night that Xiao Wa was assaulted, they saw John walk past them in a panic, covered with dust and blood on his hands. The police immediately canvassed the area again and interviewed residents who lived near the scene of Xiao Wa's assault. A neighbor couple who had seen 
seen a man and a woman struggling with one another on the night of the incident were shown a photo of John. They were not sure, but they did state that they felt that the characteristics of the man they saw were very similar to the photo. And um, this was 2004. I don't I also don't know about like photos and, and like sketches but in general, they're not 100% accurate. Right. right? Uh, yeah. Eyewitnesses are notorious for being wrong. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're helpful. But I, I have an appreciation for the fact that they're like, mm, you know, I don't want to say I know if I don't really know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can appre- definitely appreciate that. One, yeah. one thing that's unusual about this guy, though, is that he's like six foot something. So he's a really tall guy. Yeah. And so that would make him stand out i think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. agreed the police then presented a lineup of more than 20 photos to tiawa for identification with pressure from police she finally picked out two photos from the lineup some sources said five photos that she thought may resemble her perpetrator one of them was john so then the task force began to work on a timeline to see if john had been around when the attacks occurred they learned that john was in si yong ye when arlene's murder took place and suspiciously shortly after the incident he suddenly left si yong ye and took a trip to beijing where he stayed for a few weeks returning home on september 2nd at that time the police were still canvassing the area for a suspect after staying at home for just three days, John hurried back to Beijing again. More than 10 days later, on September 17th, John once again returned to Xiangye, and then on September 20th, three days after his return, the second victim, Xiao Wa, was found. Based on the witnesses' accounts, photo identifications, and a highly suspicious timeline, the police decided to arrest John and charge him with murder. <laughs> and on September 20th, 2005, just one year after the second attack, more than 20 plainclothes officers set up five surveillance points nearby, ready to arrest him as soon as he left the house. But somehow John knew that they were there, and he and his brother Jim locked the doors and did not go out at all. The Tiao house was equipped with anti-theft doors, which could only be opened with a crowbar. That's crazy. What <laughs> is... I, I need to know if this is a common yeah. thing Yeah, I, I was wondering, too, if that was wow. common in China. Wow. There were kitchen knives and other possible weapons in the house, which raised concerns among the task force that if the police tried to break into the home, this could cause unwanted casualties or even kill John in the middle of the operation, which was undesirable. Wow. Um, that's something we don't see over here in the United States either. The police <laughs> don't want to kill him. They don't want to kill a suspect and bust down all the doors. And wow, I I didn't know that was possible. Amazing. Amazing. Now, three days later, on September 23rd, 2005, the task force decided to try to trap John. And they asked him to come in for a routine urine drug test. But the brothers were not stupid. And they did not open the door and threatened the police that if they tried to force entry into their family home, they would call the media, jump off the building, and commit suicide in front of reporters. Wow. Wow, that is dramatic. That's serious. <laughs> okay, save the drama for your mama. All right? Jeez. I'm going to jump off the building. <laughs> I'm going I'm to run away. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's going to hurt you more than me. <laughs> yeah. 
But the standoff lasted for nine days. Eventually, John's girlfriend and his mother convinced him to surrender to the police. He had adamantly professed his innocence to his family and his girlfriend, so they believed that since he hadn't done anything, that he would be okay. John's girlfriend reached out to the head investigator who was in charge of the task force and asked for his promise to treat her boyfriend fairly and with an open mind. She also volunteered to go to the police station to make her own statement. In her statement, John's girlfriend said that she believed that he's a flawed man, but definitely not an evil man. She admitted that he was addicted to alcohol, but that he had kicked drugs and that he was finally on the right track. His girlfriend was a career woman who owned her own business. All right, boss lady. And their plan was to get married and start fresh in Beijing, where they would open up a new store that they would run together. They had already done a lot of pre-planning for this, which explained why John had gone to Beijing to negotiate their new business rental property and to do other business-related tasks. She wanted to resolve the situation quickly with police and decided to come forward to provide her own account of the man she was about to commit her life to. She said she never detected any abnormal or psychotic behaviors throughout their relationship. I think that's interesting. She's sort of swooping in to try to... to protect him. Protect him and then also to get it over with. There's yeah. this... Um, yeah, let's get this over with. <laughs> let's just get this over with. But little did she know. So she did admit that her boyfriend was a hothead, a drunk and a foul mouth moron sometimes. But deep, but deep down. Who can? He, who, what woman can't say that about her boyfriend? Yeah, who among us, right? He is truly a kind hearted person. She believed that he had no reason to commit this kind of cruel act, nor was he capable of it. Shortly after her interview, John's mother also arrived at the police station and volunteered to be questioned. John's mother said that the family were all very happy to see John and his girlfriend together, and that with his girlfriend's good influences, his future looked bright. She claimed that on the night of the second attack on September 20th, the whole family was in the house. John was in bed, feeling unwell, suffering from a bad hangover. And she remembered vividly that she went upstairs to check up on him, covered him with a quilt and turned off the lights. He stayed on the upper floor and nobody ever left the house that evening. But I'm just picturing like, you know, like a, a doll and the the pillows to look like a body under the blankets. <laughs> He went out the window so yeah. that he could commit murder and yeah. come back and nobody would ever be the wiser. Who knows? This is all speculation. <laughs> Later, John's attorney also brought up the police profiler's own previous analysis on the killer, describing the perpetrator as a person who has an extremely hostile relationship with women and especially with female family members and most likely experiencing the lack of maternal love. Well, boy, uh, it is partially true that John did meet some of the assessments from the profiler. There was a time when he was a bottom feeder and an almost career criminal. However, after meeting this girlfriend or fiance, John made some positive and significant changes. However, the police were not convinced. John was interrogated without an attorney or family members present. During the interrogation, John admitted that he was responsible for the attack on Xiao and Peng. 
John explained that on the night he accosted Xiao, he drank too much that day and thought Xiao was Mumu. He said, quote, I did harbor some resentment toward her. Yes, I was pissed with her. And when I realized I harassed the wrong gal in front of the restaurant, I just left, unquote. Ooh, too late. Can't put that <laughs> toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> Now, off the of the attack on Peng, he said, quote, I knocked on the wrong door to collect debt for my friend. Again, I was drunk and the shit went out of control soon after. It's not my fault. I thought she was a call girl. I tried to flirt with her and she, too, scolded me ruthlessly. I was just behaving like an asshole. I was not proud of it. But listen, I'm no murderer. I'm not. Unquote. John refused to admit the murder of Arlene and the attempted murder of Xiao Hua. During the interrogation, he repeated the sentence, quote, I did not do these two cases. If you have real evidence, you can shoot me right here and now, unquote. There goes the drama again. I was going to say, I have something for my takeaways about this drama <laughs> stuff, but I'll move on. So, but after more than 18 hours of interrogations, John eventually confessed to the killings. He allegedly said that Arlene was killed because she refused or stood him up for a scheduled date. As to the case of Xiao Hua, he confessed to another mistake of identity. He thought the girl was Mu Mu. The Si Yang Ye police immediately announced the result of the investigation that evening, stating that the demonic murderer had been arrested and it was John. It's over now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> you can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. So now we're going to get into the trial. What do you got, Beth? The trial began on January 6, 2005 at Siangye City Intermediate Court. 
John refused to admit to murder during the trial. He only admitted that he was responsible for the three cases of harassment of women and retracted his confession in court on the two cases filed against him of the killing of Arlene and the torture of Tiowa. So he said he finally confessed because he'd been interrogated for so long and he just wanted some peace and rest. His lawyer argued that his confession was coerced and that there was no direct physical evidence linking John to the cases. But on January 17th, 2005, he was found guilty and sentenced to death. But John appealed his case. During the appeal, the Gansu Provincial Higher People's Court found that the case was filled with contradicting facts and the evidence presented was insufficient. So it was sent back to the Intermediate Court for a retrial. The second trial began on August 18, 2005, again at the Zangye City Intermediate Court Although the first trial was public, the second trial was a closed-door event. Except for the victim's immediate family members, who had to go through this again, no one was allowed to observe. Even John's family members were not allowed to enter the court to show their support. Once again, John refused to admit guilt. But in late December 2005, the intermediate court convicted John for both cases and issued another death sentence. John appealed again, and this time part of the argument included the complaint that the second trial had not been public, and he demanded another retrial. The ruling of the Provincial High Court's trial committee was that the result from the second trial was to be maintained. John was sentenced to death, but they granted that the execution was to be suspended for two years. These sensational headlines on all the newspapers and nightly talk shows brought all sorts of witnesses or experts to discuss the brutal cases. John was the center of attention. The two victims seemed to be afterthoughts. But after John was sentenced to death with reprieve, many people began to express doubts. Even Lady Ming had doubts, saying that the crimes might not have been done by one person. Dr. Liu Baifu, director of the hospital, also had doubts. He believed that the perpetrator had to have had professional anatomical knowledge and skill, which John did not. So now we're going to get into where are they now? What do you got, Beth? On December 8th, 2005, John's brother Jimmy committed suicide by jumping out of his seventh story apartment building shortly after his brother's murder conviction. Some people said that Jimmy was taking heavy drugs and that the suicide could have been due to the emotional distress. Um, and I just wanted to apologize earlier. We joked about um, them jumping, say, threatening yeah. to do that. And when then they trying to. Did, yeah, yeah. And then and then the brother actually did. So my apologies. I did not mean to make a joke about suicide. Yeah, I forgot about this. Somebody part. who struggles with those thoughts myself today. In fact, uh, I joke about it, but I, I don't mean to make light of it. So right. others um, believe that it was caused by conflicts between John's case and his family. But no one really knows who Jim, why Jimmy committed suicide. On social media, armchair detective spun a new theory that Jimmy did it. Hashtag Jimmy did it was trending for months. Wow. wow. Bert wrote, in the dark of the night, let two brothers stand side by side. Can a stranger or anyone distinguish who is who? Oh, hmm. wow. Interesting. They, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. My mind is all over the floor. It just exploded. 
Wow. <laughs> On May 20th, 2009, the Higher People's Court of Gansu Province reduced John's sentence from death with a two-year suspension to life imprisonment. On December 18th, 2011, the Higher People's Court of Gansu Province once again reduced John's sentence to 18 years and six months. On May 20th, 2014, echoing the High Court, the Intermediate People's Court deducted one-year imprisonment from his 18-and-a-half-year term. And again, on June 20th, 2018, the Intermediate People's Court deducted another three months imprisonment from his sentence. Now, the latest information that Bert was able to share with us was that John's term is now 17 years and change. And then Bert wrote, the end. And then, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Bert, we love you. Thank you. (laughs) He did add what he called important notes. So the first one is in the Chinese court system, once the death sentence is announced, the execution is usually carried out within two to six months. There's wow. no lengthy delay or prolonged waiting on death row as there is in the U.S. They usually just shoot the condemned through a firing squad. Wow. Even to this day? Yeah. Wow. So with most gruesome crimes occurring in China, the court system and police usually conduct their investigation and uh, conviction in secret. Secrecy. The press reports these cases often after the dust has settled. John and the gut-digging murderer would have been considered exceptional. As for the continuations of both courts to reduce John's sentence, that is also highly unusual. It's largely acknowledged that John has most likely been wrongfully convicted. However, since the cases were closed and no further reports could be found that the gut-digging devil had committed other similar crimes, we can't find any records of new cases anywhere, but rumors were lurking. If John was wrongfully convicted, the murderer is still out there, so we'll never find out the true killer and give justice to these two young ladies. Wow. Well, I guess it's a good time to get into our takeaways and uh, what we think might have made John snap. So what are your thoughts on this case, Beth? Well, I'm not convinced that he did it. Whoa! You (laughs) never say that! (laughs) I've said it a few times. Okay. Uh, And this is one. (laughs) Okay. Um, Because of the nature of the crimes, how horrific they were, and how many people said that he would need to have some anatomical knowledge and skill, um, Mm -hmm. which he didn't have. And it seems like John was drunk a lot. And These were like crazy crimes, man. Yeah. And, you know, if he's drunk, would he be able to even commit these crimes? I mean, not necessarily he was drunk every day, but he was drunk a lot. (laughs) Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, if he didn't do it, who did? Did Jimmy do it? Uh, And were there other similar crimes? It sounds like in China, we we wouldn't know. (laughs) Right. You know, they might hide it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as we know, there have not been similar crimes which would indicate it was either John or Jimmy, possibly. But yeah. we don't know a lot about what's going on in China. Right. So if John did do it, um, or whoever did do it, um, didn't have much respect for women, obviously. Yes. And John's go-to was basically to call women whores. Uh-huh. I mean, he's every time he's like, you're a sex worker. 
Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then almost as like, okay, you're a sex worker. Now I get to beat you up. Yeah. Now I get to do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not how anything should go. He doesn't have any respect for women. Yeah. And I guess if he'd been obsessing about committing these crimes, if this was something he was really into, maybe he could research anatomy and be able to carry that out. Yeah. But he'd have to have a lot of anger towards women, I would think. Like to uh, do the amount this. of anger you'd have to have to do something like this. Um, yeah. It would be a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. And he did. And he liked it. A lot. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Now that you mention it, I had not considered that as a possibility. And t- my eyes got so wide when, I mean, when you think about it, if he was next to his brother and his brother's dead and we don't have his brother didn't like talk or wasn't part of the investigation or if he was we don't know yeah we don't know anything that's a really um interesting possibility that it could have been the two of them together oh that's possible i didn't think of that yeah it could have been both of them together yeah they did seem to uh commit crimes together when they were younger so they yeah did, it could have yeah. been yeah yeah i don't know why though because <laughs> we don't have enough information that's fucked up man <laughs> it is and uh i always think of the menendez brothers because one brother was like hey let's kill mom and dad and then the other brother was like okay that's a great idea and <laughs> yeah he- or or any of the the other people who come together and commit murders like the those the hillside stranglers that yes yeah yes. Or, you know, like, hey, I like killing women. Do you like killing yeah. women? Like, how? What the fuck? What kind of discussion? <laughs> yeah. Do, is it over tea? Maybe yeah. is there pastries involved? <laughs> what do you, what do you, do? how do you even how start? How do these conversations yeah. begin? And wow. Yeah, yeah. That is a, that is really an interesting um, aspect. And I'll, you, it sort of introduced me to that idea. Like, how do these couples get together? What, like, right. what, how does that all begin? Because it is, interesting and wild yeah um if we're going uh, uh, john aside there is like whoever did this really did hate women yeah and i wonder about that aspect of um the case when when i had not considered that um it could have been anybody other than John. I was just thinking of what we knew about the story that he had his heart broken. And I thought that that might have been like a contributing factor and his heavy drinking and unresolved mental health issues. Um, there's also um, his male vulnerability and fragility. This you can I don't know if people still use this, but toxic masculinity at play. Right. Um, and uh, the fact that maybe his his or whoever's manhood or manliness or whatever you want to call it might have been attacked or um, poked in some way. And right. to get back at the, at whoever did that women in general, um, the, um, the solution in whoever's mind this was to do was to hurt every woman out there in the most horrific way. Um, and I just thought of this as, uh, his girlfriend seemed like she was a very strong woman and maybe she, um, was overbearing. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that he did. He was partnered with a really strong woman who had it together with plans, a a whole business in the big city. Right. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to touch back on the, the threat of suicide. One of my favorite shows is signs of a psychopath. Oh yeah. I love that show too. 
Yeah. And sometimes when psychopaths do something wrong, they um, will sort of like grab at straws to try to make people see that they have emotions. And in my, I was thinking that I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to do something really bad because I didn't do this. I'm, I'm not the guy sort of him playing up this drama to try to um, Uh, manipulate people, manipulate people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. You know, OG of true crime. <laughs> she never <laughs> fails me. Yes, to manipulate. Um, I wonder if there's an element of psychopathy, psychopathness. I don't know the word, but um, I thought of that. I think, yeah. Okay, thank you, smart lady, who <laughs> is my friend and co-host. Uh, yes, I thought of that, and again, I can't say enough for the women who, um, the one, the one woman who lost her life. Arlene. Arlene. Yeah. And um, the woman who was horrifically maimed um, and uh, struggled. uh, I'm pretty sure she's still alive, but just um, just the survivors. um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, And Sal. And there was another one from the Masad Pang. Yes. Pang and Mumu. Yes. All the survivors, I think, deserve all the hip hop air horns and the shout outs. Um, for just, uh, just being, um, amazing survivors and, yeah. uh, God, I hate what was done to yeah. these women in this case. And I don't know what else to say other than gut digging devil, gut digging <laughs> murderer, gut digging, suck my dick, eat all the bags of dicks. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, we don't need to ever mention this individual's name anymore. Again, yeah, because yeah, he sucks. Yeah. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Well, that's it for the story. Now let's get into how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) Yeah. This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So a listener, Janet, by the name of Jenna V, sent us a lovely email um, and uh, she detailed a very terrifying experience in which she was followed while money or business on a run. Uh, and uh, it, it prompted her to go home and find this product uh, that she got from Gar- 
GoGuarded.com, which is a female-founded and female-run innovative oh. brand of self-defense products for on-the-go on-the-go individuals. Cool. Um, and it's convenient, comfortable, and effective. And Genevieve uh, seems to agree and wanted to share it with us. And we wanted to also share it with our listeners um, for this segment. So the thing that she purchased and took a picture of was this little weapon that you put on your finger. It's a ring. And it has like a spike and it's like serrated and you don't have to like put it in your pocket or anything like that or carry it around or put it on a hook or hook it to something. It's just pop it on, boop, boop, boop. You're out the door ready to go. Um, And uh, there's the the company uh, also has like a blog with self-defense tips and videos on how to use the products products. when you're out and about. Yeah. Very cool. Um, And it's not expensive. It's uh, $12.99. They're not a sponsor, but we'll definitely put a link um, in the show notes if you want to go check it out. They also have personal alarms um, and just really neat stuff if you are thinking, ah, pepper spray i don't even really know how to use that stuff apparently it expires yeah it does you have <laughs> so to buy i didn't know that yeah so and this a knife of uh, this ring never expires so very cool um, check yeah. it out right on. um now we're gonna move on to the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by or about any othered or marginalized folks um in the world or any true crime goodies and i just wanted to shout out the through line series on npr uh oh, they yeah. covered did you listen to it the history of afghanistan I haven't, but i've li- i've listened to other ones other they're a series. great yeah they're a great show i just wanted to narrow down these two these two episodes about afghanistan specifically because i think what we've been told or taught about afghanistan in the west is entirely from an imperialist point of view right. when it turns out that it is a beautiful um country with beautiful people artists um educators um uh, just a, a whole culture and history that has been erased from yeah. the narrative. So this is a really, really um, be- beautiful and um, wonderful look at the history and culture of Afghanistan. I think everybody should listen to it. Turn off the news because it's, <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. Um, and it's racist. Uh, and check out the through line um, history Afghan- of Afghanistan series. What Very do you cool. got, Beth? Yeah. Well, I shouted out Psychology in Seattle before. It's uh-huh. uh, one of my favorite podcasts. The uh, the host oh. is Asian. Oh. And they did a deep dive into QAnon this week. Oh, which was did you pull really your hair out? interesting. Well, oh. it, you know, um, I, I know about QAnon. I know quite a bit about it, about it but yeah. not everything. So I found it really interesting. And I thought, Wait a minute. If, you don't know everything. I don't. Stop yeah. The, stop I know. the recording. Okay. My, no, my daughter kidding. gets mad at me when I don't know things. <laughs> well, <laughs> She's I'm like, mad you're too. supposed to know everything. I'm mad too. I assume <laughs> that's why I never correct you uh, or, or ask you. I, I'm I, wrong I, sometimes. If, well, okay. Well, could have fooled me because I did not know that. Thank you. OG of true crime. OG of life. So sorry to cut you off. That's okay. 
So, um, yeah, I found it really interesting. And I thought if if you don't know about QAnon, you should probably find out. Yeah. <laughs> and this is yeah. a really good episode. Uh, the title is The Psychology of a Certain Contemporary Conspiracy Theory. And oh. they, they didn't want to put QAnon in the name of the, the episode because it would bring all the trolls on over from QAnon. Genius. So, yeah. Genius. Wow, so, that is really smart. And the thing about this conspiracy... Uh, it's not going away. No, it's only <laughs> getting we worse. Sort of thought if we'd ignore them, they They'd would go, go away, away and go to sleep. Yeah. No, nope. it's getting worse. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So, uh, and go over there and uh, find out about QAnon if you don't know about them, or even if you do, you'll learn something new probably. Oh, I am. I will. Thank you, Beth. So that is uh, Psychology in Seattle. And the title is The Psychology of a Certain Contemporary Conspiracy Theory, wherever you get your podcast. And then Throughline covered the history of Afghanistan in a series. Um, So we'll uh, let you know where to find those. And hmm, that's it for today. But until we come back, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help and as always we have merch for sale on our website get your mugs (laughs) (laughs) now this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time look alive y'all it's crazy out there vigilante I have a question for you what would you do if someone you cared about was abducted taken from you would you call me would you care about how I got them back download American Vigilante, now. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Let me introduce
introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.